Uh, just some introductory comments. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the really fun things about doing a trip like this is the people that you go with. Uh, even if they're not people that you really know very well or know at all, during those, those 10 days of, of travel and devotion, you're with each other uh, about 12 to 14 hours a day. You're eating together. There's uh, meditation times, traveling time, visiting time, all these kinds of things. You tend to get really, really close and, and uh, really fond of one another because of the, the experience of, of seeing the land. Uh, this particular trip was the first time in the three trips that I've been to Israel that I went with really good friends. Uh, one was my son Jordan. Uh, you just, you know, being able to spend that time with your son and uh, to spend that time we shared a room together and to talk at night about what all of these things meant and to talk about the faith and these kinds of things was, was something that he and I are going to share for the rest of our lives. Uh, the other person that went, a very, very good friend of mine, uh, one of the guys I'm closest to in this church, and uh, I'm talking about Wayne Rushing. And uh, for Wayne, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a really uh, deeply moving experience. And I wanted uh, Wayne to, uh, to share some of his thoughts before we got into the slides tonight about his trip. And so we'll invite Wayne up uh, to share from his heart. think it'll be that long. Um, I'm, I've written all this down, so I'm, I'm not much on speaking in front of people that aren't on the football field, so if you have a weird feeling right now, all of y'all have helmets on, so they said it's a lot easier. Um, uh, God works in, in mysterious ways. Um, Mark had asked me to go on this trip several times and I'd kind of turned him down because our daughter was, was going to get married shortly after we got back. So, you know, I thought I needed to be here. Uh, we happened to be having supper one night with Mark and he brought it up and I would not really said anything to Laura about it. So uh, as he brought it up, she said, you know, I was crazy for not going and kind of having our own, you know, tour guide because Mark had been there before. So, um, I decided to make the trip, and uh, I think she just wanted me out to where she could do the wedding plans, so anyway, uh, but it worked out, but um, most of y'all don't know me and haven't known me for, you know, that long. Uh, you would know that God works in mysterious ways if, if you hadn't known me because I'm in front of the church speaking, so that's kind of a crazy thing, too. Um, uh, the trip, uh, we saw many things uh, that just uh, that came to life for me. You know, you, you can read in the Bible and you can study, and but until you kind of go there, it, 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 I don't know, it just has a different feeling. Um, part of it, I guess, was, was going to places that, that Jesus, you know, was and in the vicinity or, or in that area or whatever. Um, but I really, uh, when we first got there for the first few days, I, I really felt um, unworthy to be there. Um, you know, I mean, he didn't sin, and there I am, you know, going through places where he was that, you know, I just, I didn't, you know, I just didn't feel worthy to be there. It was a, it was a weird feeling. Um, the places that we went uh, were, you know, of huge significance you know, to a Christian, um, places that, that he suffered, places that he prayed, um, just 
very important places. And I don't know, it was just tough for me to go in some of those. Um, Marcus talked about it as we go along, places that were one, where, hey, we know Jesus was right here. A two, he was probably close. And three, you know, in the vicinity. Um, I really didn't care about the numbers. I knew I was close, and I'd never been that close. So the numbers really didn't mean that much to me. Um, now going to a number one, I, I can't say that that wasn't just overwhelming to know that he was right where you were standing or sitting or you know within his arms reach. So uh, yeah, that was super important. But but just being there and being in a place within a few feet or a few hundred yards really didn't make any difference to me. Um, it was just a really special place. Um, all of that, I guess, you know, to me was just, it wasn't important to say that I'd stood on a place where Jesus was. It was important to say that I'd gone to a place where Jesus had been and and, and Mark told me it was going to be life-changing, and there was no doubt that it was. Uh, the trip itself was exhausting. At least for me, I'm, I'm just going to speak for me. Um, you'd come in every night, or I would, and, and write down in my journal where we had been and what we had talked about and discussed, and it was, it was just a lot to process. Um, I tell people that... You know, I cried more in 10 days than I probably cried in 50 years uh, just because of the places that we saw and the things that it meant uh, to me as a Christian. There were, um, I guess, just one thing, and that's kind of why I'm talking uh, tonight that was really important. There was a lot of places that were super important, but we get asked all the time, or I do, and I'm sure Mark does, about what was the most a special place. I don't know, they were all really special, but um, uh, what Rick just read was special. It was a place where where Peter came and was reinstated for denying Christ three times. That was um, important. Um, uh, if you would have known me, um, I was baptized when I was probably 10 or 11. Um, I grew up um, in the Baptist church and, you know, thought at that age, I guess, that something came over me. But I, I didn't keep up my end of the bargain. Um, you know, my parents were great people and, you know, they taught me well. And, you know, I just decided that that wasn't my kind of deal. So um, I kind of went another way, which had nothing to do with being baptized. So, um, going on this trip uh, was really huge uh, for me. And going to a place where Peter had be, been reinstated um, was even more important. Um, you know, he came in and, and did some things, you know, denied Christ. Well, I denied him a lot more than three times. But I felt like, and where my life is today, that um, he's forgiven me because I've asked for that. 
And so I felt being in that place where Peter was reinstated and, and you know, asked, you know, do you love me? And forgiven for what he had done. Um, that was really a big deal in my life and in my way of thinking. Um, Hard. Uh, not only was this trip a blessing, but as like Mark said, um, I got to know him and Jordan a lot better, um, and that was huge. The other thing that was important is most of the time in my life, I've never been around my friends that were a Christian group. I'm not saying that's an excuse for my actions, but since I've come here and decided to uh, renew my life as a Christian, it's, it's been really important to have Christian friends. Um, and I hope all of y'all have those. I'm sure you do, or, or you probably wouldn't be here. So um, I guess in closing, what I can tell you is, and I talked to... A man here at church and he said well he asked me about it and he said that's not on my bucket list uh, to go to Israel uh, well if it's not it should be it'll be uh, one of the most important things uh, that you've ever done or at least it was for me I hope it's made me a better person uh, well, I know it has um, to see the things that we saw and to understand the things you know when you think about Israel, um, I always think about Texas, and it's, you know, we're, it's huge here, and it's, it's not that big there, and uh, things are small, and, you know, the, the places we visited, you know, you think maybe we, you have to drive four or five or six hours to get anywhere, but, it's, you know, it's not that far, and, and being in places where, you know, 80% of the gospel was was taking place around the Sea of Galilee and then going to Jerusalem was just, it was mind-boggling and um, life-changing to say the least. What I can tell you is if you ever get a chance to, to take that trip, do it. It will be life-changing. you do the trip is to learn about the Lord Jesus and all of the things that he went through that makes us a family, you know, 8,000 miles away. He suffered right there in that place. And uh, what we're going to end with as we kind of finish up tonight is uh, what we're going to call the reinstatement of Peter. It takes place uh, at a place called Tabga. Uh, Tabga, Tabga is actually kind of a... Uh, it's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's, it's kind of a, a word that has diminished through the years. It was, it was actually uh, uh, heptopagon, which means the seven springs, and that became kind of corrupted to, to Tabga. And if we were to look at the map of the Sea of Galilee, 
Uh, the place where Jesus is living is right here. You know, Nazareth is back over in here. There's the Arbel Pass and the Wadi of the Doves that you would come through here and kind of end up on the shore by Magdala. And then you would walk along to Capernaum, and that is the hometown of, of Jesus after he left Nazareth for those final three years of his life. The area that we're looking at is this area known as Tabga. And again, we're not talking about an area, as Wayne said, that's very large at all. I mean, basically, it's about a 20-minute walk from, from these three sites that are, that are best known for this area. Uh, the first one is the Church of the Multiplication of Loaves and Fish. And this is just a shot. We did not see this on this trip, but this is in the area that we were when we went to the place where Peter was reinstated. And uh, again, what you find is uh, you find a rock in the middle of a, of, a, of a church sanctuary, and the church itself was concreted over and was built foundation-wise on top of that rock where Jesus was supposedly, this is the place where he multiplied the, the loaves and the fish. The interesting thing here is that this mosaic was actually not done by, by a native Isra, uh, Israeli uh, because there are no fish in the Sea of Galilee that have fins like this. So it was done by probably uh, uh, somebody from Europe or somebody not acquainted with the area. But one of the things that took place in this area between um, uh, between the place where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount and Capernaum, and again, we're just talking like a mile, is, is the multiplication of the loaves and fish. Also in this area is the Mount of the Beatitudes. And again, this is all in that area of the Seven Springs, right there on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. This is a church that I've already shown you that's on the spot next to the, the, the valley and the, the natural amphitheater there on the north side of the Sea of Galilee where many people believe that this is actually the spot where Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. But the spot of interest to us tonight is, uh, is the, the place that is known as the Mensa Christi, the Christ table, or the primacy of, of, of Peter. And we're actually entering in that place right now. And the church I just showed you had that black kind of uh, bell steeple tower at the top. That's it right there. So we are now in the place right on the coast, just that far from where they believe this is the mountain of, of Beatitudes there in the background. And so we enter uh, what is known as the Church of the Primacy of St. Peter, Mensa Christi. The reason this is called the Primacy of St. Peter is that there are two places, according to the Catholic Church, where, where Peter is told that he is going to be the, uh, uh, the, 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 the prime leader of the disciples. The first is over in Matthew chapter 16. We, we looked at that place. That was Caesarea Philippi where he asked, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers correctly. He, he talks about that confession. And then upon this, you know, this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. And we talked about how that cave there at Caesarea Philippi at the, 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 the temple of, of Pan or the temple of, 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 uh, of, uh, of Zeus Right there in Banyas was the place where Jesus, it was in the vicinity where Jesus was saying the gates of hell will not prevail. That's the first place where Peter was basically told, and this according to Catholic tradition, you're going to be the head guy. The second is right here on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. You know, he was resurrected in Jerusalem. He, told, he meets his disciples there. John says this, this is the third time they are up in Galilee. They will go back down to Jerusalem, and that's where they'll witness there on uh, Bethany on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascends into heaven. But it's here 
that uh, it is believed by the Catholic Church that this is the second place where Peter is being told by Christ, you're going to be the leader of the band. That is a picture of the church. It's not a very big church. It is actually built on that rock, that rock formation that you see right there is maybe 60 yards from the Sea of Galilee coastline. And it is believed ever since the, uh, the fourth century that this is the place where Jesus cooked the fish and he was standing up on that rock when he called out to his disciples about whether or not they had caught any fish. Sort of a, a larger picture of it. Again, that, that, that rock formation forms the foundation for the church. Once you go inside of it, you also see a part of it that comes up and has, has sort of been squared off. And for all intents and purposes, that was the Christ table where he served his disciples' fish, according to church tradition. And there it is. And it's up here on this rock that, uh, that, you, uh, that Jesus had the, uh, the burning coals and was preparing the fish. Another view of it. And then again, here is the picture from the, the side door going out into the water. Those, uh, uh, you, you know, when people go to places like this, imagination just kind of runs rampant a lot of the time. These heart shaped, you know, because this is the place where Jesus asked, Do you love me? The heart shaped rocks there seem to have some significance in, in, the, in the minds of a lot of folk through the years. Actually, <laughs> what those are, and nobody knows how they got there, actually, what those are, those are columns. Uh, columns, as you know, were not, you know, there just wasn't one gigantic piece of granite and they tipped the thing up. They, there were sections of it that they put on top of each other and these are actually those that are cut for the base. If there was in a colonnade, there was a column in the corner. So you actually have right here, this would be against the wall, this would be against the wall, this would be the base, and then you would have the round pieces going up. That's all that that is right now, but it's kind of interesting. People have thought that they were part of the 12 thrones for the disciples. They thought that the rocks were put there miraculously because this is the place where Peter is loved back into the kingdom by, by Christ. And this will give you a, sort of a view of where these guys were fishing. They were about 100 yards, the text tells us in John 21, that they are fishing offshore when Jesus, from that rock, stands up on it and says, Have you caught anything? And the disciples, you know, uh, you know, they, you know, can you cast your net on the right side? And they do that, and when they get the 153 fish, as we're told in John's account, when the 153 fish come into the net, it, it sort of triggers their memory, and they realize the same thing happened back in Luke chapter 5. Isn't that an amazing thing? They're, they're not saying, oh, this happened in Luke 5. That's how we think about it, right? But they're thinking, man, this happened like three years ago. This, that's the Lord. And the word that describes uh, Peter is that he is gymnos, G-Y-M-N-O-S. It means that he is sort of, uh, well, he's, he's, he's naked as you would find somebody in the gym, uh, a, 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 a Greco-Roman gym. He is stripped down to hardly anything because he's been working all day. The text says that he takes his clothes, wraps it around him. He jumps out of the boat after working all day and swims 100 yards to shore. To give you kind of some perspective, here's Jordan and Wayne and, and, uh, and myself uh, up against those rocks that you see in the water. You know, you can kind of get an idea of 100, and, 100 yards or so offshore, and here is Jesus that's preparing the food for them. Uh, the thing that is really significant about this is, uh, you know, Peter has denied Jesus, as Wayne was talking about. At the house of Caiaphas, um, he has denied 
he has denied Jesus. And Jesus told him that he would. You know, I'm going to die with you. You know, they, you know, Jesus has told him at that last supper that, you know, Satan has asked to sift some of you. And, and he's also said, one of you is going to betray me. And, and you know, Peter is, is one that is just no way. I mean, Peter is not just a man. Peter is an hombre. I mean, he is, he is a man's man. And, you know, everybody else may fall away, but I'm not going to. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, before the night's done, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And that's what happens. They go to the, they go to the, the, the Mount of Olives. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he's betrayed. A kiss from Judas. He is arrested. He is taken to Annas' house, and then he's taken to Caiaphas' house. It's there that he is tried. From there, he is taken back down to the Temple Mount and to the Fortress Antonia. He's taken out uh, to, through the Damascus Gate where he is crucified. He is put in a garden tomb nearby probably bought by joseph of arimathea and on the third day as you know he resurrects and he has shown himself in jerusalem not only to mary and some of the other women he's also showed himself to some of the disciples peter being one of them he's instructed them to go back up to galilee what are they going to do while they're waiting and i mean jesus is not with these guys every day you know we were told by john that eight days later you know and this is where they they see him and so what are you going to do in the meantime what are you going to do in the meantime between the next time that you see Jesus? Well, Peter decides that he's going to go fishing. And he goes fishing, and he takes some of the guys with him, and they're offshore, and they're, they're, they're fishing, and uh, all night, nothing, nothing doing. That just terrible night of fishing. And then there's this lone figure out on the beach. He says, have you caught anything? We've been fishing all night, nothing. We caught caster nets on the right side. They pull in. The net is so taut, it doesn't break. It is so tall because of the fish that's been caught. John recognizes this is the Lord. Peter jumps and he finds himself swimming to shore, coming out of the water, and there is the resurrected Jesus. Interesting thing here is that there are two places in the Bible where the words burning coal are found. Just two places. One is in uh, John 18, verse 18, where... uh, Peter is warming himself by burning coals. That's where that word is found the first time. The second time that it's found, it's the word that is used to describe the fire that Jesus has built while he's he's cooking the food. And here's Jesus before he's crucified, you know, serving people and serving his disciples, even after he is the resurrected Lord, and he's getting ready to be exalted to the right hand of God, the ascension. He's serving them still, and he fixes some food, and they eat. And in the middle of this, um, you know, it, 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 you, you, you think about the way that humans are. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you, you know, when we hurt each other, we bruise each other a little bit in the way we interact. We, we sometimes don't say we're sorry. We sometimes, you know, we don't make it right we just, the, the relationship sort of goes on for a little bit, and what happens is, you know, things are a little awkward. And, you know, with time and space, people seem to forget, and they just kind of move on, and you sort of forget that thing, but there's always in the back of your mind that event, or the thing that was said, or the thing that was done, that, that was painful to both. And I think that, you know, you have Peter sitting here, and even though he's seen the resurrected Lord, and, you know, in, in, in John 20, he's 
He's, he's overjoyed to see the resurrected Lord. And, you know, he's in this room and he's scared to death with the other disciples. The room is locked and he just comes right through the wall and there he is in the midst of them, the resurrected Lord. And he's overjoyed that his friend, the one that he loves, the friend that he loves is resurrected and no longer dead. And he sees his future in that. But he also knows that this thing that he did in the courtyard at Caiaphas' house is never, ever, ever going to go away. And Jesus knows that too. And over and over and over and over, the Bible talks about the need to reconcile, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, forgive each other as you have been forgiven in Christ. You know, the, 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 the New Testament writings of, of Paul are just freighted down and just weighted down with instruction on how people are to live with one another. You know, and, and, to, and to maintain the integrity of the fellowship of the body of Christ so that it's a beautiful body and a, and, and, and a body of honesty and of love and of service and of celebration of what it means to be a Christian and to be brothers and sisters. And one of the later teachings of Jesus was about how do you forgive somebody that you're in relationship with? And so they're sitting there. And notice that, that Jesus says, Peter... Bar Jonah. Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he does this three times. And, you know, we could kind of get into, well, you know, the first time he does it, it was, a, it was a, um, a, a genitive of comparison. And, you know, he's asking this and that. And, or using agape and phileo. Sometimes those words were used interchangeably. You find it in the Septuagint. You, you find it in other places where, you know, you're talking about an extreme love, but that friendship love. And they're sometimes kind of used to talk about the deep, profound friendships that people have. But he just keeps asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. But Peter, do, come on now. Do you love me? You know I do. He says it a third time, Peter grieved in his heart. And the third time, he's grieved in his heart because, you know, it's, you're kind of wondering if Jesus really believes what you're saying, but that third time is the trigger. How many times did he deny Jesus? Thrace. Three times. And each time that he asked him, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, Peter is trying to respond. Trying to respond. And what is it that, that Jesus does? He tells him, you've got to feed my sheep, you've got to feed my sheep. The interesting thing here is... Um, he refers to him as Simon Bar-Jonah. Jonah, you know, is that prophet, you know, famous prophet uh, who was told to go to Nineveh and to preach against it, right? And, 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 and Jonah would not do it. He would not do it. He would go so far as to get in a boat and head in the opposite direction. And you know the story. God is not going to be outwitted by you know, a human prophet. So he sends a storm. The people in the boat are concerned. They, you know, they draw the lots. They, they figure out that it's really Jonah. You know, Jonah even confesses that you know, this storm is on account of me. I'm, you know, I'm running from God. He's thrown into the water. The, 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 the sea calms. And what is it that comes? There's this gigantic 
Jonah created swallowing fish that swallows him up, takes him to the beach, and spits him out, and Jonah goes on into Nineveh, gets the attention of the people by the sermon that he preaches yet, you know, and Nineveh's going to fall, and the people, the people repent, they, 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 they turn, the city is, is blessed, and there's Jonah, who's just he, just, he just is angry. The interesting thing about this, uh, this statue, and it says, feed my, my sheep down at the, um, in that block right at the foot of Jesus, is that Jesus is facing to the east. And that's what he sees in this statue. That's the Decapolis. That's the place where the Gentiles live. And the, the, the really wonderful thing about whoever it was that came up with the idea of this statue is that in calling Simon Peter the son of Jonah and telling him that you're going to feed my sheep and that you, know, you are going to be a part of all of this that I'm going to do, who is it that preaches to the Gentiles the very first time the gospel is preached to Gentiles over in Acts chapter 9? Simon Peter son of Jonah. And Peter becomes the Jonah that does not run away from the will of God, but he becomes the one that preaches by the will of God the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time in another city called Caesarea Maritima, which is our city, the city where Gentiles were first included officially and formally in the expansion of the kingdom of God through the preaching of Peter to Cornelius and his household. In Acts chapter 9 and 10. And I think that, it, that this place, as Wayne, I think, felt it uh, in a, at a spiritual level, this, this is a place that reminds us that the gospel is really about a, a second chance. The gospel is really about a different direction in your life. The gospel is really about the, the inclusion of all kinds of people into the kingdom of God, not just the people that look right or the people that speak rightly about biblical facts or the people who even have a certain kind of knowledge about God, but the gospel goes out and brings everyone who trusts in the work of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, that it includes all of those people into the family of God. And it's Peter who understands what it's like to be forgiven that is able to preach to the Gentiles a message about the forgiveness of the sins that are destroying their soul and how all of that is washed away in baptism and through faith in Christ, the reception of the Spirit, how they have a different opportunity for a different way of life. David's going to lead us in a song right now. Maybe there was something that, that Wayne uh, talked about earlier or something that you've been thinking about for a while and maybe some of the images of this place where Peter actually was forgiven and brought back into the fold in such a way that it set his course to Pentecost where he, out of all of the ones, out of all of the people, the human beings on the planet Earth, it's Peter, this one, who stands up there in Jerusalem and preaches about Jesus of Nazareth and gets the kingdom of God moving forward with the Spirit and with 3,000 being baptized and meeting daily in the temple precincts and sharing the meal and dedicating themselves to prayer and to fellowship and all of these different kinds of things. It's this guy. It's that one.
who denied him and even boasted that he would never do it, that God chooses to preach that message. If we can minister to you tonight in some kind of way, whether it's to help you get back on course, uh, to understand that maybe the things that you're doing in this life can be forgiven and that God wants to forgive you because God is righteous and God in his righteous love is going to redeem his people. And if that describes you tonight, while we're standing and singing this song, I want you to come down and talk to these shepherds who are going to be down here at the front. Let's stand up and sing together. Oh, man.